0: The Paceline is supported by LAL Cycling. The Coast is calling. LAL shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. And the Paceline is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show. Cycling's biggest U.S. convention joins the call in support of Bears Ears National Monument.
1: Interbike was looking at potentially moving the show from uh, Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas to Salt Lake City. They've been entertaining proposals from several cities uh, for where to possibly relocate the show. And they've now decided that they won't move the show to uh, to Salt Lake City.
0: And why would a pro tour cycling coach reach out to help a kid named Fatty break eight hours at Leadville?
2: I just have been thinking a lot in my head, you know, if pro cycling is to survive as a as an interesting and popular sport, we gotta get busy basically making um, ourselves, and you know, the, the knowledge that, like the, we almost need to make ourselves teachers.
3: baseline the podcast on two wheels welcome to show 56 i'm fatty and i've got a secret that has got me so excited i am about to burst i'll talk about it real soon also on mic is patrick brady the lead alternative fact producer and publisher of red kite prayer which is where you can always find links photos and everything else that goes along with this show how are you doing patrick
1: uh, I, I am I am the center of alt cycling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, things things are good. Uh, it has actually stopped raining
3: here. Yay! Oh, what a relief! You know, we got two inches of snow yesterday. So, wow. uh, fat bike season for those who have uh, fat bikes around here. Of course, you can find this show on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and uh, let's face it, most importantly on iTunes. Speaking of which, there was a really great review that was posted during this last week that i want to read and it goes i always look forward to the pace line they cover a nice range of topics and have some good interviews the guys can ramble on at times but it's nice to know it's not scripted so glad that hottie's back it's not the same without him and that is by j smith 2211 and the s- title of that review is my favorite cycling podcast thank you j smith twenty two eleven, and amen to that it is nice to have hottie back how are you doing hottie
0: uh shout out to Jay smith awesome yeah. buddy thank you <laughs> so much that's uh very nice to hear i'm doing uh pretty good actually still actually recovering from rock cobbler up in bakersfield where uh traditionally i come away with great memories and either a head cold or a sinus infection so trying to wipe that thing clear from my uh you know, lots of mucus going on here at the Hottie household right now. So.
3: Oh, yeah, I hear about that from practically everyone. Everyone has colds at my house too. Mm. I so far have been able to escape unscathed. This has been the winter without a cold for me. Wow. Uh, knock on wood or in my case, IKEA laminate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But Stand with Sweden. Yeah. Hey. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) um, Now, are you like me? I mean, when something tears through my household, it usually starts with my, as of today, four-year-old, and then goes to the seven-year-old, and then to mom, and then to me. I'm last in line. Uh It's like I'm, I, I don't know, the finger in the dike until the dike finally completely gives way. Um, is, is it that way with you where if you're going to get something, you are last in line?
3: You know, yes, because, you know, since like you, I work at home. Um, I'm, I'm not the one who is going to be the first to be getting stuff from people at the workplace or at the school place that things tend to, I tend to be the last link in that particular chain. Uh, since I have kids at school and a wife who works as a nurse, Uh, I have, you know, obviously way more points of contact uh, for that kind of thing than some others. But, you know, it's not a virus that has been really plaguing my life lately. I have another syndrome that has become actually a real problem for me. And I want to talk to you about that, talk about that, guys. Uh, I have a bad case of Mayrod. Uh, Have you guys ever heard of that? Do
1: Do they have a cream for it? (laughs)
3: You know, there's probably one, and I haven't taken it yet, but MAYROD is an acronym I just made up for. Oh, okay. Multiple A-Race Obsession Disorder. And it's a problem I've got in a real big way. Um, Here is what is on my race docket this year. The Vision Relay, formerly the Rockwell Relay. I'm looking at doing a Ragnar Trail Run Relay. True Grit, a 50-mile mountain bike um, race in the, you know, covering some of the best single track in St. George, which is some pretty pretty primo stuff, let me tell you. Crusher and the Tusher and Leadville. And I'm considering doing Park City point-to-point. All of these I'm obsessed with, like all of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, well, no, I'm not wondering if that's too much. (laughs) (laughs) I know for sure that it's way too much. But it's not like I'm I'm willing to let any of them go. Is this common? Or, I mean, are, are you guys looking at a bunch of events and thinking of all of them as your eight race? Or do you have one thing that you're focusing on? You've got the eye of the tiger for that. And everything else is, you know, fun but not important.
1: Well, um, I, I'm... <clears throat> how to put this? I kind of want to do reasonably well at everything i show up to um but i've i've eschewed disciplined training um for i'll just ride as much as i can and train as hard as i'm able um but there's just too much else in my life for me to get really obsessive about my training Mm. and so basically i have uh M-b-b-rod. Everything's kind of a B event.
3: <laughs> Multiple B-race obsessive disorder or lack of obsessive disorder. We are going to need a better acronym for you, Patrick. That's the, all there is to it.
1: Unsurprising.
3: Uh, I, how about you, Hottie?
0: This is not a problem with me. I, I don't know what gene I got, the, the discipline gene, I guess, from good old dad, but... Uh, when I first read about periodization, uh, about the importance of of establishing A races, B races, and maybe even C races, this that theory resonated with me, and and for pretty much forever. I mean, when I was a roadie, I probably overdid it a little bit, thought I needed to be good at every race, mm-hmm. um, but I figured it out. You know what actually really helped me cement the idea was the was are these endurance events like Leadville or Crusher? Those events are so big so demanding that you have to kind of put them up on this higher level than the rest of the stuff and go okay that is that's the prize that's the thing i am after that is the ultimate goal and everything else kind of is leading up to that or in support of that so fatty i think what you need to do is work down the alphabet a little bit and, and figure out which one of those are b races or which one which ones could be b races and Ooh, uh, so hard. And uh, <laughs> how, well, otherwise, you sacrifice what is the ultimate goal. If you put emotionally, mentally, physically, physically, if you put all your efforts, if you spread them out to, to all these A races across your calendar, the one that really matters is the one that's going to suffer in the end. So, mm-hmm. uh, that, and well, no, it's hard to get through. You show up at the race, you're like, I'm going to go for it. I'm gonna, but once in a while, you got to say, hey, today's 80%. That's what it is. Wow. Yeah,
1: except don't mention that to Bradley Wiggins, because in 2012, everything he entered nearly, he won. You know, it was Paris Nice and uh, Tour de Romandie and uh, Criterium du Dauphiné, the Tour de France, you know, a gold medal. Uh, dude was in flying form from, what was it, March to August. Um, so maybe, maybe you just need a really good coach, Fatty. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, I may... Need a really good coach. Someone who can help me make all of my A-race dreams come true. Yeah. <laughs> but meantime, uh, I, I kind of expect that a coach is more likely to say, hey, you got to choose <laughs> one of these. Pick something. You got to pick <laughs> something and be good at it. Um, so what is your A-race this year, Hadi? Mine?
0: Yes. Uh, it was going to be Crusher. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I was wondering if, and you might be able to answer this: the time between Crusher and Leadville about um, is about one month, and potentially you could hold on to your fitness for that long. If if Crusher you were just coming into your peak, and Leadville were the end of your peak, I would say, you know, you could probably an athlete could probably pull that off. So that's. Kind of where I'm looking. I'm kind of looking at Mm -hmm. Crusher being a minus, and then you know Leadville being a as far as fitness. Um, Frankly, I'm just too lazy to do anything else right now. Anyhow, (laughs) I don't feel like making an A race in the spring at this point. So uh, that's those are probably that'll be the highlight of my season. Hopefully, the high points fitness
3: wise of my season. Man, (laughs) for me, it is just so difficult. I mean, I, I you make a great point that you need to come to a starting line and say today's objective is not to turn myself inside out and I'm going to put in 80%. And I've thought that before. I've thought that as I'm going to sleep the night before, I've thought that as I'm at the starting line and then the gun goes off and all I see is red. And it is just, you (laughs) know, the the race, you know, the race mindset, you know, this primal animal instinct that frankly is what i love about racing takes over and i know i'm not the only one out there who is who starts a eight hour nine hour seven hour race with a freaking sprint right (laughs) i'm just you you just go yeah
1: you you're not alone in that regard no Uh, but i'm i'm i gotta say i'm truly grateful that i don't have that beast in me much anymore Hmm. um
3: Why, why don't you,
1: I, I guess it's just because there's so much else in my life where, you know, when I go out on an event, I mean, there are going to be times when I definitely want to go as hard as I'm able, but so much of it is just, uh, you know, enjoying being in the moment and not really worrying about, you know, am I actually going hard enough or, you know, am I fueling perfectly, uh. I just, I love getting out there and and being in the moment. I mean, last weekend I went out to the Tour de de Placer-Roubaix up in Auburn and I've, you know, I've really not done any riding in the Sierra foothills uh, to speak of. And this was a fantastic event, Uh, 50 miles, um, 5,700 feet of climbing uh, one brutally steep climb in there, but a lot of other switchbacky long climbs, two great gravel descents, a little single track next to a canal built by miners. Hmm. Um, I mean, it was stunningly gorgeous. And, you know, I, I rode hard with some other dudes, you know, the lead group got away at a light early on in the ride. And this was, it was a ride. It was not a race because there was just no way they could have controlled all of that course. And so I get that. Um, but you know, they understood that people were going to want to ride hard and, um, it was, you know, we split up into groups as you do. And man, it was just so much fun, such a great event. Um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't really approach that any differently than I did old Kaz, and that was a technically an actual race. Hmm. Um, I just, I love, basically, I want to get there and not embarrass myself. I want to be strong enough to have fun. And for me, right now in my life, that's enough.
3: Yeah. So we, we represent sort of three places in a spectrum or a triangle. I don't know what how you want to define it, where you have. Yeah potty who is a very disciplined and thoughtful racer in how he approaches his whole season we have you who have uh uh you being a uh, patrick of course where you have essentially a you have a different motivation for what you want out of a race and then you have me who <laughs> is uh who knows what i ought to be doing but you know when it comes right down to it, just really loves the the craziness and intensity and the absolute inside out turningness of uh, of the race moment. I'm interested what our readers or our I should say listeners. Boy, it's hard to think it's hard to think in terms of audience differences this way. But yeah. I, I'm interested in what our audience thinks. Are you more like Hottie, like Patrick, or like me, or do you? Love all of your races and go crazy for them. Do you think smart about your races, or are races really just another opportunity for you to have community and see amazing things and be with great people? Uh, tell us what you think in the comments in the paceline uh, in the paceline uh, comment section. We'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah. All right, fantastic. Well, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about my big secret. Uh, specifically this is going to be what happens when a tweet leads to something much much bigger and that's coming next on the pace line
1: When my son was born, I realized I needed to finally get some life insurance. Um, I had neglected to do so so far in my life. And when I went shopping for it, I realized that even though I was an exceptionally fit cyclist, uh, none of the companies out there took that into account in setting my rates. Um, I got a physical and it didn't ask me any significant questions. Uh, But now, there's a company that helps you secure better life insurance rates because you are a cyclist. Uh, Health IQ advocates for a healthy, conscious lifestyle. They've used science and data to fight for lower rates on life insurance for the health conscious, including those who run, bike, and do other aerobic sports. In fact, research has shown that avid cyclists have a 45% lower cancer risk, 18% lower heart disease risk, and up to 28% lower risk of early death. Many cyclists don't realize they can get a special rate due to their active and healthy conscious lifestyle. So Health IQ has special rates with companies like New York Life on life insurance for cyclists and other healthy conscious people. Uh, check out our show notes. There's a link to their site, um, health IQ slash PaceLine. You can take their quizzes, uh, see the questionnaires. They've got a lot of information there. Health IQ.
3: The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick, Hottie, Fatty, all of Red Kite prayer fame, and now's the time when we have some interesting interviews. In particular, this is one that I recorded this morning, and it stems from something that I would never have expected, and this is the secret that I was referring to you guys about uh, earlier uh, earlier in this episode. Last, I think it was Sunday, just a few days ago. Um, I posted this tweet because I just had an honest question. I said, story problem. I weigh 165 pounds. My FTP is about 289. I want to finish the Leadville 100 in under eight hours this year. What do I need to do? And really all I wanted from that was someone to say, well, you need to lose. You need to bring your – uh." watts per kilogram up to a certain number you need to be at four in you know instead of I think I'm like at 380 3.88 right now or I wanted someone to say you know you're already there you just need to be better at this or that or you know something like that someone to give me a, a good bite of information but you know what happened instead <laughs> uh, I got a reply from Jonathan Vodders. That's right. The race director of Cannondale Draypack, he replied actually twice. He said What? Yeah. He 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 replied to my tweet and he said, Nail the downhills. Seriously, I don't think you're too far you'd be too far off with a few tweaks. Leadville isn't about LT, which I, I assume he means lactate threshold, right? Mm-hmm. And then he continued and said, It's about the av- ability to fuel at eighty five percent of FTP for long period. Pl- Plus your ability to utilize fats as fuel at high altitude. And I thought, well, wow, that is really awesome. And I kind of thought that was the end of the matter. But it wasn't. I got a direct message from him a few, uh, I, I, you know, a few minutes, a few hours, I'm not sure, later. And he asked, he said, hey, I've been thinking about this. Would you be interested in having me coach you this season? What?! that's right
1: how how long did it take you to say yes
3: (laughs) well first of all i had to you know i had to you know regain consciousness (laughs) 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 so i mean yeah I, i i was astonished and i was like why um huh and of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and aren't and so you a little,
0: aren't you a little busy, Jonathan, with a thing called the Tour de France this summer? I mean, seems like he's he's got his plate full, doesn't he? No
3: joke. Yeah, <laughs> I he, mean, he's
1: abs- only got twenty some riders.
3: And you know, I, I'm of course not wanting to ask him any of these questions, these obvious questions that you guys just posed, because I don't want to talk him out of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the questions you ask if you want to talk this guy out of it. And I'm like, no, absolutely. And so he and I started going back and forth. And then just this morning, I said, hey, could we talk for a few minutes about doing this and what are the first steps? And he did. So I now have Jonathan Vodders as my coach to get me ready for at least one of my mayrod <laughs> events i'm guessing that he's <laughs> going to have something to say about all of those events but i haven't talked to him about those yet so uh here's a very interesting interview and it starts out being just about me but it i, I want y'all to stick with it because it, it expands out to be about all of us in a very very interesting interview so jonathan vodders jonathan vodders welcome to the Paceline. Well, thank you very much for
2: having me. So I didn't realize that, that, that you already had sort of the big belt buckle. And so anyway, so we're at sub eight hours. That's fast. I mean, you got to you got to hoof it to get under eight.
3: I I do. And my best time is 812. So, right. I mean, so you're it's, close. I, I am close. I, I'm not doing something completely unrealistic, but right. Uh, 12 minutes is not is not nothing. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, on
2: that course, percentage-wise, if you broke it down it, you know, it's it, 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 whatever, it's probably like two seconds every kilometer or something. I don't know. I'd have to figure that out. But yeah, 160 kilometers. So uh, more than that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not much. Yeah, No, it would be actually be five seconds a K, 160 K. So there you go. Five seconds every kilometer. That's that's, that's what you're, that's what you're after, which, you know, in, in, uh, time trialing at 55 K an hour is like an eternity, but riding mm-hmm. a mountain bike at, you know, at an average of 18 <clears throat> K an hour, it's doable because, you know, you're at a slow enough speed that that's not a, that's not an exponential increase. That's just a linear, linear bump upward.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And So what do you think I'm going to need to focus on? And I'm asking you this question before you really know very much about me. But when we were tweeting back and forth, you actually nailed at least one of the things I need to do, which is I need to nail the downhills, which has always been a weak spot for me.
2: Right. Well, that part, um, you know, is one of those things where, you know, whatever, you and I can work together to find somebody to (coughs) give you a good downhill mountain bike you know, coaching, or whatever. I mean, I can, I can give you like basic tips yeah. or tell, set you up on a couple of rides with Joe Dombrowski. Who's actually an amazing mountain bike downhiller, interestingly. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that part is one of those things where, you know, it's, it's not so much physical coaching, but you're just going to have to one way or another, you know, come up with a plan of how to figure out how to just go down hills. It's not so much, maybe a ton faster than you do, but just sort of more confidently and, you know, and, yeah. and a little bit more relaxed, but, um,
3: yeah those are actually two, you know, the two big things yeah. for me well, you're yeah. probably
2: wasting a lot of energy, like just being super tense on the downhill yep. and you know that's uh I mean that's just practice 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 um the uh you know i mean the the from the physiological perspective or at least the power generation perspective you know what I was kind of poking at is that um and this is the reason I'm dragging you to the lab in in Boulder is that. Uh, People are so focused on, um, you know, this FTP number Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, for an eight hour race, FTP um, isn't terribly relevant. What's more relevant is what sort of fuel you're using, you know, at FTP. And I'll give you an example. Like if I take Lawson Craddock and I take Joe Dombrowski, right, Lawson's FTP and the key acronym or the key uh, letter in the acronym is F, functional, meaning he can do it, but dot dot dot. Um, yeah, you know, is he's got a very high FTP, but it his fueling source is primarily sugar. Like he's he's pulling a lot of sugar to get it done. His his body is. is um, you know it's using its glycogen storage it's having to buffer um lactate um and you know other acid um mm-hmm. by you know i mean it's having to buffer it as opposed to recycling it wow. um, and, and being able to reuse the lactate as energy and so what you get with lawson is he can do like 20 or 30 minutes at a super high power output but because he's relying on sugar as the primary fuel source he's buffering the lactate as opposed to recycling it you know, he's recruiting quite a few fast-twitch fibers in order to get the work done, that basically, even though he can do it X, Y, Z for 20, 30 minutes, he can't do it repeatedly over three weeks. And so you see with Lawson that he he has trouble once he sort of gets past, like, day, you know, 9, 10 in a grand tour. So with him, you know, it's all about sort of shifting it over to more, and this is probably where you're going to lie on this spectrum. I don't know that for sure, but I'm I'm going to guess, is shifting his fueling, over getting his body to pull you know more um, fatty acids for fuel mm-hmm. during the ride and at a very high intensity and relying on slow twitch fibers up to a higher threshold, so it's like as opposed to what you're what we're normally sort of used to as like you know functional threshold power, meaning what you can do for thirty minutes this is this is well, I don't care what you can do for thirty minutes. I care about how your body is actually doing that work for thirty minutes because in an eight hour race. You need to know how to do that 30 minute workload over and over and over and over again. So Joe Dombrowski flip side of that, he's got also a very high FTP, but he's mainly recruiting uh, fatty acids for fuel all the way up to the limits of his FTP. And he's typically using, uh, you know, fats for fuel much more effectively. Now, he doesn't seem to be able to go much beyond his FTP. Interesting. So like he's great for an eight hour race or seven hour race. He has a little bit more trouble when it's just like a 20 minute explosive effort, but that's the, you know, but he's, uh, his body has naturally shifted over to that, you know, uh, recycling lactate better using fat for fuel better and using slow twitch fibers as opposed to fast twitch fibers at higher power output. So those are sort of the three objectives. Like if you want an, an eight hour race and in, you know, FTP in itself, like what you can do for 30 minutes, you know, it's, it's, you got to be able to do that sort of five separate times during Leadville. And, you know, if you're recruiting faster fibers and using sugar for fuel in those five separate or using a lot of sugar for fuel in those five separate times, you know, the first. Two or three will be great, and then and you'll say, "Wow, you know, I've got this awesome high FTP, isn't that cool?" And <laughs> then the last two are just going to be crap, and you won't be able to touch your FTP. Yeah, and you'll be wondering why. So yeah, yeah,
3: yeah you why. see a lot of people walking up the power line, probably for that exact same reason, right? Oh yeah, like yeah. Me. I
2: mean, the power line—you kind of got to wonder. Sometimes I wonder if it isn't faster to walk up the thing, but um, yeah. but uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, is that they just you know, they, by that point in time, they lost their coordination, they're dehydrated, they're glycogen depleted, so on and so forth. So like they, you know, they just don't have the capacity to get up that.
3: Yeah. So what are, what am I going to learn in the, in the lab? So in the
2: lab, what, how this is different from any other, um, threshold test that you're going to do is that it's, it's focused on when your body is switching fueling sources, when it's switching over from fats to carbohydrates, at what intensity it's doing that, and at what intensity you are... See, because, again, FTP is all about at what intensity your body can handle the amount of lactate that it's spitting off. Okay? Mm-hmm. This test looks at not how much you can handle, it, it's looking at um, or how much you can tolerate, I should say. This is looking at at what point does it start building up? Because at the point that it starts building up, even it's just a little bit of the intensity that it starts just creeping up a tiny bit, you're still well below FTP. But what it's doing is saying, okay, you're using a little bit of fast switch fiber and a little bit too much sugar. And, and that just gnaws at you in an eight-hour race. So we're looking at finding that precise intensity, which other tests don't typically do, or they don't do it with precision, I should say. Yeah. And then basically um looking at that and really focusing on that area of your training to expand because if we can get you to, you know, stop um switching over from fats to carbohydrates, you know, at uh two hundred and fifty watts, and we can bump that to two hundred and sixty or two hundred and sixty five, and that's the same usually that's the same region where we switch over from fast switch or slow switch fibers to fast switch fibers, we go from two fifty to two sixty five, then what that'll do is allow you, you know, just that five seconds per kilometer more.
3: Wow. And, and so once we have an idea of where I'm switching from fats to sugars, what will I actually be doing in order to change, in order to move that needle?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of it is just training right below that point. Like, okay. So, you know, the the training, um, now, of course, you'll still do, you know, shorter intervals and higher intensity intervals and so on and so forth. That, that, that has to be part of you know, anyone's training program. But um, the difference here is that we'll start putting you into that training zone for long periods of time. So it's almost like, you know, as opposed to a 30 minute effort at you know, 268 or, or whatever your FTP is, or 10 minutes, six minutes, whatever you may do. Uh, this is more like, let's do two hours at 230. Yeah. You know, I just sort of like the really annoying pay, like right at that point. And then another thing, um, that I do, um, to push this threshold up <laughs> is pre-fatigue the fast twitch fibers, um, so that your body can't recruit them and deplete your glycogen stores a little bit. Um, so your body can't get into glycogen stores, meaning like, imagine you do a, you know, a six hour ride early in the ride, you're going to do a lot of high intensity stuff, Kill your fast switch fibers, Mm -hmm. blow out your glycogen stores, so on and so forth. And then you get later on into the ride, and then you do these big, long, steady efforts to, you know, really, because then your body really can't dive into the fast switch fibers and it's forced to use the slow switch fibers because you pre fatigue them. And yeah, so that's the, those are sort of two basic
3: training techniques. I gotta say, I'm super excited to do this. I mean, this is, this is going to, you know, I've done Leadville 19 times. Um, but I've never, I've never thought about efforts in and fuel consumption in the way that you're describing. And I, you know, I, you know, who knows, but you know, I I, I I love the idea.
2: I mean, what I will say is that it usually takes a while, uh, Mm um, for this stuff to really kick in. So, you know, we got until August, but like, this isn't, you know, sometimes, you know, with, with threshold training as an example, like. You know, you do a couple weeks of threshold training if you're a little bit out of shape, whatever. Like, you really feel it. Like, the the benefits kick in really quickly. Right. This, you know, this takes a while because this is trying to, I mean, this is working on your body at a mitochondrial level, at a muscle fiber level, you know, uh, at an enzymatic level. So, it's like, you know, it takes a little longer for those things to sort of start, you know changing over so anyway just just to forewarn you
3: (laughs) well i'm i am nothing if not patient i mean the fact the fact that i've been chasing this number for close to 20 years (laughs) tells you that so right right and then you
2: know we should also you know we got to look at like i mean if we're looking at you know a 12 minute difference uh you know we got to look at uh you know how you're feeling during the race I yeah. mean do you use aero bars in the race right? because you're you're you know that's fast enough that like you should probably put on a set of clip-ons as goofy as that looks on a mountain hmm. bike like that's what the you know the really fast guys are doing just to save energy on the flat sections oh wow so um you know that's uh that was one of the big things that Joe Dombrowski and I decided after last year is that you know if we do this again we you got to put on aero bars because you know hmm. you just lean on the I mean, you can take pressure off your lower back by just, you know, leaning on the bars as opposed to holding yourself up and you're getting an aerodynamic benefit too. So it's just, you know, it seems sort of silly in a mountain bike race, but there are some long flat sections of road in that race that, you know, if you just sort of, if you're just giving yourself a little bit of a breather as opposed to having to huff it, then that's true should help yeah, yeah. Th-
3: there's around 30 miles that is either rolling or flat of that race and yeah that's a third so that yeah, right that's significant no question so um, let me ask you this question why um <laughs> i mean i i put out this tweet i uh, was surprised to get any response from you at all but you know i'm a 51 year old guy or I, I will be 51 on the day of the race you're working with pros all the time um, what, what challenge does a sort of average ability middle-aged guy working for a goalie's been doing forever? I mean, what in, I guess, what interested you enough to say, yeah, I'll coach you for a season.
2: Well, this actually, I mean, the answer to this is complicated um, and and it's not just out of a whim. I mean, in this particular case is a little bit out of a whim, but it's something that's churning around in the background of my head. Mm-hmm. So I think, but fundamentally right now, cycling in general, not just bike racing, but cycling in general is going through a really large scale shift. Some of it's due to demography, you know, some of it's due to, well, there's a lot of factors involved that, um, you know, people in that are cycling fans are, they, well, this is actually across all sports nowadays. This like Super Bowl ratings are going down but people participating in sports on their own is going up. Right. Yeah. Millennial generation. I hate using the word millennial, but the, you know, younger generation or actually really just people that are alive today um, are more interested in doing than watching. And that's slowly but surely coming more and more true every day. And so to me, um, and you And you can just see this everywhere it's i 'm more interested in learning how to ski fast myself than I am watching a ski race i 'm more yep. interested in learning how to ride fast myself than I am watching a bike race i 'm more interested you know, in going, playing touch football with my kids than I am, uh, you know, watching an NFL game. I mean, this is, and and people are are really obsessive about this. Like they want to be good. Like they're like, okay, I know I'm never going to be a pro, but like, I want to actually maximize my talent. I want to see how far I can go. This is part of the experience of life for me, which is far more important than, you know, whatever, going and buying a flashy Mercedes, which is sort of, you know, what we've been used to for the past 50 years. Now the the goals are more like, no, I'm a really good skier. I'm a really good cyclist. I'm a you know, yep. so I just feel like societally we're shifting that way in a, in a big way. And you can see it in the participation in grand fondos. You can see it in the participation, um, you know, in, in, in inclusive athletic events, New York marathon, Ironman, you know, stuff like this, that basically, um, you know, end of the day, people get such an incredible sense of achievement, saying, "I finished the New York Marathon." Well, in cycling, we miss this. Nobody can say, "I finished the Tour de France." I mean, okay, yeah, 120 guys every year can say that, but that's it. Yeah. You know, there is no there's no outlet for uh, this. So, like Leadville 100, is one of these rare events in cycling where where people are actually allowed to compete against the best of the best, mm-hmm. and it's a huge accomplishment it's like the goofiest thing that you just get this belt buckle but like <laughs> it's almost emblematic of where we are right now that like the belt buckle is more important than you know than the super bowl ring or whatever as far as an individual goes so yeah i just have been thinking a lot in my head you know if pro cycling is to survive as a as an interesting and popular sport we got to get busy basically making, um, ourselves and, you know, the the knowledge that like the, we almost need to make ourselves teachers to, you know, imagine a pyramid and, you know, pro cycling is all the way to the top of the pyramid. Well, the base of the pyramid, if pro cyclists want to be popular and sponsorship money wants to keep rolling into cycling and so on and so forth, we got to make ourselves popular to the bottom of the pyramid by being teachers and by being accessible. And, by basically, you know, saying, yes, I've won a stage of the Giro d'Italia, and for that reason, I am a credible source in teaching you how to go up a hill faster. Right. And I just I just think that's where the future of this stuff is, honestly. I mean, it seems a little bit out there, and I'm sure a lot of pros would be, well, I'm not going to, you know, teach some, like, goofball to go up a hill faster. Blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I, listen, I mean, if you think, like, let's take, you know who Jenna Marbles is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Jenna marbles is incredibly popular. And what is she like? She's teaching people how to put on makeup and how to like, you know, just sort of like goofy little funny videos that are somewhat instructive and, you know, somewhat comical and, you know, but cycling doesn't touch that audience at all. Like you have no idea who Joe Dombrowski is really behind the scenes. And that applies to all cyclists. Like basically there's like almost like no touching on their personalities in professional cycling and these guys are really you know they're funny but they're not but they're not putting themselves out there and they're not being helpful to the cycling community that commutes that you know just goes and rides a bike every weekend that likes mountain biking here and there there it's just like this elitist sort of like we're doing our thing get the hell away from us and i just i think that's got to change so that's the background of all this
3: i love it i love it so one last question are you going to come crew for me at leadville (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: i'll be there crewing for joe so i uh, yeah i can i can and you know by the sounds of it you're you're not actually that far behind him so i'll be able to i'll be able to do it
3: oh i'm i'm going to be hours behind him and that's not an exaggeration yeah
2: but i mean eight hours is quick
3: i mean that's uh you know what i what did he he did like 612 or
2: something yes i I don't know yeah yeah, so,
3: yeah, and he, I mean, he's if he's doing it again this year, uh, I would say he's a he's a sub six hour threat. Where I'm looking for sub eight hours, so I I wasn't right. I was not at all exaggeration when I said hours well, you plural. Know, <laughs>
2: that's the yeah, I, I, you know, that's the lovely part about Leadville is that you know, like in that that one feed zone, mm-hmm. like I you know I can hang out there and wait for you, and I can still get to the finish line, yep. and you know, I mean, that's the I, I really. I mean, just going back to my previous point, I mean, I think that's kind of the point really is that, you know, you create events where, you know, the, you can, you can be coaching a guy who's going to do maybe sub six hours and coaching a guy that does sub eight hours. And you can actually be there for all of that. And it's, and, you you know, and, and there, there's no sort of separatism or elitism involved. And, you know, the only, the only elitism is just that he's two hours faster, but you know, the, that's other than that it's the same event it's the same roads it's the same feed zone it's you know so yeah yeah yeah,
3: absolutely hey well jonathan i am super excited to uh, talk with you often and to get uh, get a good sense of what i need to do what i need to change to uh, have a super fast leadville this year thanks so much all right yeah sure no problem guys what do you think oh my gosh (laughs) this is
1: so cool i mean I loved the interview just for all the places it went in terms of, you know, his thinking about, you know, how to make cyclists uh, more efficient, you know, how to use uh, their power over a greater arc of the day. Uh, it, I mean, it shows unusual insight, you know, that you're not hearing elsewhere. And that's one of the things I've always loved about Vauders. He's smarter than your average bear. Um, you know, I've loved interviewing him in the past, you know, for that very reason, But, you know, what he shared there at the end about, I'm doing this because, you know, we need to be better stewards of the sport. Wow. I'm just so in love with this. It's so great. Um, You know, I I can't wait to hear what else happens with you and him.
3: Yeah, well, obviously, me too. Um, But... You know, I of course was just thinking about myself, as is my want, uh, when he said that he would be happy to do this. But he's got, he, you know, he's got a plan, he's got a strategy, he's got a trajectory for this, and it makes great sense, right? That uh, when you think about the cyclists that you care most about, the ones who are most interesting to you right now, like people like Phil Guyman, right? It's mm-hmm. never that Phil Guymon was the fastest guy in the world, but he was the guy that would reply to you on Twitter, right? He was the guy who had a podcast. He's the guy who wrote a book about living as a pro on t- you know for ten dollars a day, making the sport relatable. Vodders is taking that thought and propagating it forward. Um, when he said, "Yeah, we'll get you doing a couple of downhill runs with Joe Dombrowski," I mean, I I was like, "Holy cow!" I just won a lottery after winning a lottery, so yeah, yeah this yeah. <laughs> this is this is nuts and super exciting, completely unexpected, and yeah, so um, you know, yay Twitter, I guess yeah. is my. Batty, I think what you're well,
0: in for with Vodders, as far as the testing is concerned, I, I would bet money it's a VO2 max test, maybe blood lactate as well, and then the training he's talking about is something we used to call you know no man's land training, in other words, that sorta of fast pace where he's talking about riding for two hours, you know, sub-lactate, well, you know, in that 250 to 260-watt range, something that's called aerobic threshold training. Um, it's just hard enough that you're not quite racing, but you're not recovering. Um, and you do hours. It's a, it's a new line of thinking, though. This used to be no-man's-land training. Yeah, uh, zone three. Almost. It was yeah. the thing. Yeah, it was like, exactly. that gray area that really wasn't. But now there's been a kind of some new focus on that Joe Friel also, um, you know, cyclist training Bible, he's got his athletes working on that area to kind of push up that that spot where you cross over where you start to burn carbohydrates instead of fats. The longer you can delay that the better butter burner you are, you know, the better you're going to be late in that race when you're trying to go up power line when you're trying to make your way Back up, you know, to the to the last climb of the day, or right into town, you'll still be able to hold a decent amount of watt late in the day because you haven't burned through all your carb stores. I heard another interesting interview recently too about our body types, our kind of our our metabolic profile. Some of us just are better carb burners than fat burners. And another thing you you might want to look at too, fatty, is what type of energy does my body prefer and can I change that I mean if you have diabetes in your family or if you have heart disease if you have heart disease in your family chances are you're probably not a very good fat burner just by by nature if you have if you're diabetes in your family the opposite you're probably not a great sugar burner and you can make adjustments based on kind of your your metabolic makeup too as far as how you fuel and what you should expect out of your body as well but it's Cool that Vodders is, is there for you. i I um re- really interested to hear about your results and, and what he puts you on. And then the idea of just yeah getting involved in the sport on a grassroots level, bringing the pros closer, bringing pro knowledge closer to us, that's what we really desire around here. I mean, again, I, I've used the golf reference a lot, but golfers love that too. I mean, that was a thing we were always chasing was that level of expertise. How can I have access to what the pros have access to, whether that be equipment or knowledge or courses or what have you. If they can bring that stuff closer, they meaning the, the pro teams, people like Vodder's, it's going to re-engage people about cycling because we are looking right now, aren't we? I mean, the Lance effect yep. is long gone. We have no what, What's our reason for getting into the sport and pursuing it at a high level or bringing new people in or buying bikes? We're looking for something right now, aren't we? And maybe access... Access to the knowledge, access to athletes, access to, to coaching is one of those vehicles. And I think that's what Vodders is telling you right there. Yeah,
3: it's going to definitely be a real season of learning for me. And I'm going to be passing as much of this on as I can, uh, both in Red Kite Prayer and in the PaceLine podcast. So we're just getting started, and I'm about as excited for the race season as I've ever been in my life. So uh, big thanks to Mr. Vodders for uh, taking me on as a project, and I'll pass on everything that I can. Much more discussion about this coming up in the PaceLine. Let's change up the conversation now to the news. Has anything been happening in the cycling world news-wise lately? (laughs)
1: A few things. So in your great state of Utah, your governor um, has shown what some consider to be some hostility toward public lands. So he's looking to get the Bears Ears National Monument designation stripped. um, And, you know, there's some uh, some talk that, you know, those lands could even be sold off. He's not just Um, looking,
0: Patrick. He's written a letter to.
1: President yes. Trump
0: asking him to remove the designation that President Obama put in place just near the end of his term. It happened in December that they designated mm-hmm. it at a national monument. So that, that's already in motion. And that's why you have the reaction you do.
1: Right, right. Um, and, you know, there's there's certainly been signs elsewhere in Utah of, you know, a desire to sell those lands off um, and make them, you know, uh, private so that they can be used for mining and other other concerns. Uh, as a result, um, several weeks ago, Patagonia and Polar Tech and a couple other companies announced that they were pulling out of the outdoor retailer uh, trade show that happens every year. Actually, twice a year uh, in Salt Lake City and other companies started following suit. Goo was one. And uh, then outdoor retailer decided, well, you know, this is so bad for us. We're, we're facing a shrinking show. We're not going to renew our contract uh, beyond 2017 uh, for Salt Lake City. And so that show is leaving. Uh, Interbike was looking at potentially moving the show from, uh, Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas to Salt Lake City. They've been entertaining proposals from several cities, uh, for where to possibly relocate the show. And they've now decided that they won't move the show to, uh, to Salt Lake City. They well, not only that, they're not even going to entertain a proposal, uh, from people in Salt Lake City. Um, there's been a little bit of uproar about, well, why is the North American handmade bike show, uh, going to be there? And that one's simple. Uh, they've actually released a statement on that. You know, they've got a signed contract. The Mm -hmm. event is next month. Uh, if Don pulls out now that bankrupts him. It kills him. The, the the suits that would follow from uh, failure to perform would crush the show, and there would never be uh, another NABs event again. Um, same thing goes for Press Camp. Press Camp will be uh, in Deer Valley again uh, this coming June. Uh, they've got signed contracts for that, but they're looking at relocating. They've already started talking to people about where they could possibly shift that. Um, so... You know, it's one of those things where I get that we need to take a stand. Um, but having met people uh, who make their living in and around Park City, I get that any sudden fall off in outdoor tourism, um, you know, it's gonna it's gonna do more than just send a message to the governor. Um, you know, Fatty, what what do we make of that part of things?
3: You know, around here, there's mostly just sort of a. You know, and of course, different people, different perspectives. But with the people that I talk with, uh, who are in the industry, there's a lot of sadness. That um, I mean, because this isn't—it's super easy to just portray this as a a clashing of Herbert and politics versus um, versus you know outdoor retailer show and the hand built bike show and inner bike and. You know, outdoor retailer, you know, all of these, but there are a lot of people and businesses who are going to lose business because of that, and w- we had no say whatsoever in this conflict. And so, I mean, there's sort of a well, yeah, you made your point, outdoor retailer, but uh, what about us? And you know, we've supported you and have gone out of our way to you know really make this a good place for you for a long time we didn't have a part in this uh you know in this uh you know in in what herbert said and it felt almost more like a an ultimatum as opposed to a negotiation that happened here and there's yes yeah, so there's a lot of distress and you know sort of an a you know look what's happened to us uh since in utah and yeah so it, it, it's sad, and it's you know, it's obviously it's going to be painful to the economy here.
0: Well, I, yeah. hasn't Governor Herbert uh, chosen sides himself? He's clearly said, "I'm on the side of allowing more development on that land, or allowing oil drilling on that land, or allowing." Landowners to continue to graze on it, as opposed to designating it a national monument and, and leaving it alone and preserving that space. It sounds like the governor has chosen sides here. And he said, "I don't care about the outdoor industry. I care about industry. I care about big business. I care about oil." He's the guy. Well, the big- he's the guy that's picking sides here and and hurting. I think the, the local folks, the folks there in Utah. Who are going to you know experience the fallout from the likes of Patagonia and eventually outdoor retailer from uprooting and leaving that
3: state. Yeah, but you know it, and I don't disagree. All
0: the governor has to do is leave it alone. He just has to leave Obama's designation in place. And it's not like this thing was decided overnight. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the Bears Ears National Monument was three years in the making. They brought in all kinds of people, including the local tribes, to decide what and and where this this land, this border would be, it's like a million acres, I think. And who would who would have say in, in the future of that land? There was plenty of time to argue this thing out, and they did. And and now the governor, since he has a political opportunity to get it reversed, has decided to strike now.
1: Well, I think one thing that's important to note here, um, while the, the nature of the conversation has not been revealed, you know, Uh, officials from Emerald Expositions, the owners of Interbike, they had a phone call with Governor Herbert. And, you know, what little I understand of it was, you know, basically an inquiry, you know, are you going to stay on this path? Or now that you've gotten this input from other shows pulling out, are you maybe reconsidering your stance on that? And based on that phone call, that was the point at which they announced, nope, we're not going to Utah. We're, you know, we're not even going to entertain that. So I'm kind of curious, you know, I would love to see maybe not a full transcript of that conversation, but I'd love to get a little bit more insight into what his response to them was when they asked, you know, is this really the direction you're going?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, My take is pretty pragmatic that it's just, you know, it's a shame that they, that they, that it came to this and that, you know, I I would prefer to keep Bears Ears. I would love to keep Outdoor Retailer here. It's, yeah, it's just, it's. In the end, it's going to be small businesses, medium businesses, the hospitality industry, all of them around where I live are going to suffer because of, you know, politics and business uh, unable to act like adults.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't accuse the folks at Outdoor Retailer of not acting like adults, but um, sure. I'm I'm surprised that Governor Herbert would continue... Down this road, given how vocal and how much the opposition there is,
3: yeah. Well, oh. yeah, it's it, uh, the politics in Utah are pretty far right leaning, and so he was listening to the majority of his, con- you know, of the people who voted for him. Uh, you know, he was doing, you know, he 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 was doing what they wanted, right? He just wasn't doing what, in my opinion, is best for the state. Yeah, yeah, sad. Of course, I well, didn't vote for him, so, you know, <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Um, well, so moving along, there's one other little piece of news we want to share because it's relevant to us being the media. Uh, and that is the sad news that last week, H3 Publications, the publisher of Decline Magazine, a downhill magazine, and Road Magazine. Uh, shut down operations, laying off six people and bringing to an end, I suppose, uh, the career of Dave House, uh, who's been in the media in cycling since the mid 1980s. Uh, actually, I think the early 1980s. I want to say his career started in 83. I wasn't even working in bike shops yet at that point. So, uh, you know, it's always sad to hear. Uh, another publisher uh, shuttering its operation Um, but it is a an an example of the really sad reality of how many bike companies are shifting their advertising away from print and toward online media Um, you know and it's even though what I do what we do is uh, considered all online electronic uh, it brings me no joy uh, to see that happen um, so my, my regards to everyone there. Um, it's a sad thing.
3: Yeah, no question about it. Oh, that's kind of a sad place for us to move on to the, pa- uh, to the paceline picks, but that's where we are. The part of the, uh, the part of the paceline where we talk about, frankly, random stuff that we care <laughs> about and has been occupying our minds. Hottie, yeah. what is your pick?
0: Well, you know, uh, we've kind of had a bit of a gear theme going here today, so, uh, you know, one of the reasons we do this show is because of the gear. We love the stuff. The three of oh, us yeah. have garage fulls of, of bike-related gear, and when we're not riding our bikes, we're thinking about them. We leave our families for several weeks every year to attend. What? Interbike, Winter Press Camp, NABs. Why? The gear, that's why. <laughs> which, is, which is why I'm suggesting to the two of you and all of our bike geeks out there to check out the show called John Glazer Loves Gear. Uh, this is about a man so mad for his gear that he gets a small network to approve his show that focuses on outdoor gear. Hmm. He does a show focusing on camping, one on fishing, hockey, and yes, one on cycling gear, but along the way, he finds a way to annoy and alienate just about everyone in his life, especially his wife. Here is John Glazer coming home to tell his wife that his show, John Glazer Loves Gear, has been picked up. I got this GPS watch. Check this out. This thing has an An altimeter. altimeter. I know, John, because you've showed it to me a hundred times online. And I told you then and I'll tell you now, it's too much
1: watch for you.
0: You never even go camping. Now all of a sudden you need to have a $500 watch with an altimeter? No, I don't
1: need the watch, but the show is not called John Glazer Needs Gear. It's called John Glazer Loves (laughs) Gear and I love this watch. Wow, truly. Sweetie, listen, I know that I can be annoying when I talk about gear. Okay, but when you you are married to someone, and you oh. love that person. Okay. Part of that is you indulge the annoying things about oh, them. Like place. I love you, <laughs> and I indulge the annoying things that you like to talk about, like your shoes and bags.
0: My shoes and bags. Yes. Like my gear.
1: Unbelievable. John Glazer loves gear. John Glazer, gear. John, Glazer gear.
0: Again, <laughs> John Glazer loves gear. John Glazer loves <laughs> gear. Again, it's John Glazer loves gear. It's on True TV, <laughs> uh, or just go to the website and you can watch uh, the first season of episodes. Right, we just best describe this as a curb your enthusiasm meets Top Gear. So, John Gonsard loves gear. will provide. A I'm not actually
1: him. sure who's more annoying in that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he is. No,
0: no, no. He will. Your your the hair on the back of your neck will stand up. You will get goosebumps just from being frightened by this man and his love of gear. He walks around. uh, He has like a uh, production assistant, too. Every time uh, uh, some gear moment occurs in the show, somebody walks up to him with a bullhorn and puts it in his face, and he just cranks open the bullhorn and goes, gear! It's really
3: over-the-top stuff, so good stuff. I am definitely going to watch that. Patrick, beat that if you can.
1: Oh, I'm not even going to try. I'm, yeah, probably I'm, I'm best. dialing way back. So, um, you know, there have been a few different companies that have tried to do uh, IDs for uh, cyclists in case, you know, something bad happens and you're not really uh, completely able to report on who you are and how you are. Um, and one that's come to my attention lately, it's actually uh, produced here in Sonoma County, is Crash Tag. And it's really neat. Uh, it's a, it's just a, a little piece of titanium um, it's engraved with, uh, you know, various relevant information. I'm sort of surprised at how much I was able to get on mine. You know, I've got my name, birthday, what city I live in, um, an emergency number, uh, the fact that I've known known, uh, allergies to drugs, um, my, my care provider number and blood type. And there's also, um, one of those little, uh, not barcodes, but the, the little square, um, help me out Re- a UPS code me. yeah
3: a, a uh, QR code
1: there we go QR code okay. that uh, can be scanned to reveal even more information about you so uh, health healthcare providers can get a bunch of information on you you know should they need it and you not be able to report it all yourself at that time um, plus it's even got a little bottle opener on it so uh, <laughs> it's cool and You know, one of the things, one of the things that I've, I've been struck by is like how many of them, you know, they're dog tags or this or that. And there are all sorts of different ways that I find sort of inconvenient to wear. Um, But this one, one of the options was um, a small, uh, small metal cable um, that can be broken apart so that you can attach it, you know, to your helmet or uh, to your bike or other places, you know, that um, aren't like dog tags rattling around in in your chest, you know. That, like
3: to my navel ring.
1: Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, I suppose you could. Yes, yes. Um, you know, or on your hydration pack. That's the one that really is sort of attractive to me. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, I, what with me and not having a whole lot of jewelry, I can't go there. <laughs> Maybe so, it's time to make uh, a change. Wow. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, there will be a link to them in our show notes. Uh, it's a really cool product, um, and I, I dig what they're doing. So that's, uh, that's from Eleven Gear.
3: All right. And my pick this year, or this year, it, my pick this week is a new frame I am getting for this year. And, in fact, I'm getting two of this frame. I am going to get the Felt FR1 disc frame kit. Check it out, guys. Both, wow. the, both my wife and I, we're going to set those up, going to uh, put SRAM eTAP on it. And as a result, I am spending way too much time on the Felt uh, felt website. Uh, or is it Rosignal <laughs> now? I don't know. I, but uh, I am – you know, I spent a ton of time – Uh, talking with folks about should I get something that's more aero more comfortable and because I ride on a lot of chip seal and I want to be able to do you know a bunch of different things and in the end I went with the bike that I'm just super excited about and have been since it's been unveiled I want to get this very light very nice bike that will still let me put 28 millimeter wheels in and I know that you've ridden it, Patrick, and that you love it, yeah. and I love climbing, and this is the bike that I'm going to get. So that's my pick. My pick is my new bike.
1: Hey. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I envy you that. It's, yeah, they're doing really great work, and they don't get enough credit for how good their
3: bikes are. John, John, Gla- John
0: Glazer wants to talk to you, Fatty. He, he, he thinks you, <laughs> He thinks you'd make a great episode.
3: I probably would, I probably would, but I'm super excited to be, uh, finally sporting disc brakes on my road bike. This will be my first road bike with discs. So, um, everyone says they're the best. So, uh, excited for that. You You won't regret it. No, I, I intend not to, (laughs) (laughs) I think that discussion of a bike frame is a great place for us to end for this episode of the pace line. Everyone, thanks so much for listening. Once again, if you haven't already subscribed, please do rate us, review us, all the places that you normally would. I'm Fatty, and with Patrick, and with Hottie, thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Pace Line.
0: John Glazer loves.